0: up to psalm chapter 23 with me it's it's in the old testament this is a simple psalm it just says the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death that sounds stressful (laughs) i will fear no evil that's a different way of living for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup, my life overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I just want to point out, just kind of pull out one of these phrases that Psalms 23 uses. It says that in the midst of life, in the midst of everything that's going on, that God can restore your soul. In other words, in the midst of all the stress, there's hope. In the midst of everyday life, and and when circumstances aren't going as well as you want them to, in the midst of sickness, of loss, of loneliness, there is something that God can do to restore you. He restores our soul. This is what I want for you, for your life. I want you to be able to get through the stress without being crushed. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit. And And it does start with another, this other phrase. It says that he guides me in paths, of righteousness so i kind of want to go here and say here's a couple ways that we can deal with stress because we we're going to have everyday stress there's going to be good stress there's going to be bad stress but i want us to be able to get through that without being crushed okay and part of that is realizing that life is a journey life is not a destination that we're getting to it's not a goal that we're trying to meet it itself is an adventure it is a journey in other words it's the path of righteousness. It's not the destination of righteousness. He does not lead me to the end point. He leads me to the right path, but you still have to walk that path, right? You're still going to have to travel, do some work to travel that path, and that kind of goes along with uh, the life of Moses. Again, uh, part of our reading plan is that we're we're in Exodus right now, right at the beginning of Exodus, and we kind of ended the reading this week with Moses and the Israelites at the bottom of the mount of mountain Sinai. Mount Sinai. This mountain that they've called and uh, named Sinai. And there is not the destination, right? That's just a, a point on the way. In fact, if you look back in Genesis uh, or in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is getting his calling, God comes to Moses and says, I'm going to use you to rescue all the people out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. That's in Canaan. There's actually a destination in mind. But on the way, they stopped. They have made camp for about three months at the, at the foot of this mountain. And, spoiler alert, Moses never makes it to the promised land. Do you realize how important that is to the story? Think about this. God has Moses as his man. He has him called on a mission and a calling in his life. And it doesn't seem like Moses ever actually accomplishes that mission. But does Moses do what God created him to do? Absolutely. Do you see how important it is to understand that life is a journey, that there's a path that you're on, and that there's a journey to take? But sometimes we don't reach a destination. Sometimes God does his greatest work while we're taking the journey to the destination, like on the way there. On the way there is where God speaks you know, verbally, audibly, to the entire nation of Israel and tells them ten, the Ten Commandments. They hear God's voice at this mountain. Again, this is just on the way. God does some of his greatest work just on the way where they're going. They think, we can't wait to get to the promised land, but God can't wait to talk to them on the way, right? He actually gives them the law during that time. He didn't wait till they got to the promised land. In fact, he was kind of preparing them for what was to come. But that was the most important thing to God's mind. Is like, I just can't wait to, to take this journey with you. doesn't matter where we're going, really. It's about being present on the journey. Let me tell you another story. In the Bible, there's this guy named Philip. And he's a church planter. He's going around. He's an evangelist. He's telling people about Jesus. He's, he's making converts. And at one day, in the midst of all this work that he's doing, all this ministry, God comes to him and says, I want you to... Take a certain road. <laughs> and th- again, this is right fits right into this. When you see life as a journey and not a destination, this makes sense. God comes and tells him, I need you to to just go walking on a road. This road, and in, in, in God's really specific, he says, the the road is from Jerusalem to Gaza. Jerusalem, you can kind of picture it's kind of in the middle of that landmass, and Gaza is a coastal city. Really, it's the entranceway into Egypt and or Ethiopia. It's kind of a trade route there. So In other words, God comes to Philip and says, I want you to go from Jerusalem, this is where he's at, to Gaza. Head to Gaza. Now, while Philip is on the way, he meets who he's supposed to meet. He meets the Ethiopian eunuch. He talks to him about Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch decides to get baptized. Again, the the greatest expression of following Jesus with your whole life. And then immediately... Philip is taken away. It kind of, uh, it, it's kind of a mystery what happens there. It just says, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit snatched him up. Or it says God took him away, and now he's in another city, um, a- Azos, or, you know, uh, up north on the northern coastal city. Do you see what I see right there? That Philip never made it to Gaza. <laughs> if I'm reading it right, didn't God tell Philip to go to Gaza? And he never made it there. Now, if I put myself in that p- place, and I put myself in Philip's, you know, in, in his situation, I think for the rest of my life, I would be frustrated. And I'd be worried. I'd be like, I never made it to Gaza. You know, God's using you, him all over the place, right? But somewhere in the deep back of your mind, you're like, I remember when God led me to Gaza, and I never made it, <laughs> right? I, I don't want to go back. I want to make sure that I make it where God led me. Whereas God, that would be completely foreign in his mind. Like, what, why? Why? God would be thinking, I led you because I wanted to use you on the way. I just wanted to use you in the journey. Again, uh, part of the problem with stress is that we have something that we're going toward, and when we don't get it, it causes this stress in our life, right? Where God wants to just kind of breathe in the situation and be like, hey, chill. I, I, I just wanted to do something on the way. It's cool. He, sometimes God changes our direction, doesn't he? And like you're on the way to something, and then, you're, then you feel kind of guilty. Like I never made it to Gaza. <laughs> I never made it to the promised land. I never got where God wanted me to be. And yet God is completely satisfied, and God is doing his greatest work in your life on the journey. Again, if you see your life as a journey and not a destination, it makes a lot of sense. See, God has a, an identity for you not just a destination here on this life, not a couple goals to meet, but in a completely new identity to take on. Again, uh, sometimes we get stressed out because we stop a little short of that. Or we get worried because we don't know what's going to happen next. Instead of thinking about who we are and the journey instead of the destination is so much more important. And then I want to show you a piece of, uh, in in Exodus chapter 3, a piece of Moses' life. So in in, in chapter 3 of Exodus is where Moses really gets his calling. If you were to look in chapter 3 and look down to verse 7, this is when God comes to Moses. He's speaking to him and he says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. They're kept slaves. And you're going to see that's kind of a theme throughout the Bible. is slaves set free. There's a redemption that happens. He says, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. And Moses is really excited about that because it's his people. It's like, yes, it's about time you did something. Praise God. He's going to rescue his people, right? We should be cheering. That's so exciting, right? Moses is hearing this for the first time. And and God goes on, giving some more details. You know, the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And then verse 10, look, he says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. I'm sending you to bring my people out of Egypt. And that's a big change, right? It's great, God, God that you have this vision of something that you want to accomplish, but it's a whole other thing that you're going to try to use me in that. And that's where the roadblock comes in for Moses. That's really where the stress of his life starts, <laughs> where things just, whoa, okay, now we're off track, right? I was with you over here, God, great idea. Now we're off track, and I'm, I'm freaking out. And, and literally, that's the rest of the chapter. He's just kind of, still questioning God, like, whoa, 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 can we back up for a second? I heard you say that you're going to send me. Are you sure? Is that, I mean, am I hearing that right? Yes, I'm going to send you, Moses. Yeah, but are you really sure? I mean, have you thought about this, God? I mean, have you thought about all the implications? Yes, Moses, I've thought about this, actually. (laughs) I happen to be God, and I think things through. (laughs) No, but God, you don't understand. There's this, there's this, you know, what about, what about this, you know? Yes, he gives him answers to everything. And then I want you to see it goes on for that whole chapter, and it goes right into chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. This is in the next page, verse 13. This is where Moses f- makes his final sort of uh, plea to God. And notice what he says. Moses said, "O oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. <laughs> right? And I've read it that way every single time, it's like, this is kind of funny, Moses saying, send someone else. But after you really get to know who Moses is, you might understand this verse a little bit different because when he says, please send someone else, think about the word else. It also helps that, you know, having a little bit of background with the the Hebrew language, which was what this is written in and what we've translated into uh, English from, this idea of send someone else. See, there's two ways that you can understand else. Else means send someone different, or else could mean someone else alongside me. That'd be a different way. Imagine if what Moses is asking is, don't make me do this alone. And, and it's really interesting. If you think about it that way, you kind of understand Moses a little bit more. Because, and, and here's funny, it makes more sense why God would answer this way. What did God answer him? What about your brother Aaron? Let's take him along and he'll join you in this ministry, he can, you know, help you out with some of, maybe some of your weaknesses that you have. Again, I think sometimes we get real stressed because we put the weight of everything on our shoulders. Moses is already doing that, right? He's already seen everything. He's like, man, God, I I can't carry this alone. I don't know that Moses is actually disobeying God, right? That's how I've always seen it, is that he's rejecting God. He's like, no, God, send someone else. Instead, I wonder if he's saying, God, Please, don't make me do this alone. I can't do this alone. And God's like, you're right. How about your brother Aaron? It makes it a little bit more grace. You know, obviously, it angers God that Moses is being so (laughs) resistant to this. But he does provide for him the person that's needed and gives him a team. In other words, uh, you know, we've got to see life as a journey, but we also need to find fellow journeyers to go with. We we can't win. We can't win alone. We can't do it alone. And so we need someone else. Again, wouldn't it be interesting if that's what Moses is saying, don't send me to do this alone. There's some things that we need to do alone. There's some tasks where we just are alone in that. And and especially, I know as a guy, there's sometimes I just want to be alone. I just want some time to think by myself, be alone. But if you have a mission to accomplish, you need a team. Right? Think about that. And, and here's the thing, the bigger the mission, the bigger the team needs to be. So really, if you have no mission in your life, of course you don't need people, right? Because sometimes the mission is too small. And, and the thing is that th- the size of the mission also equals the amount of connection we need to make with other people. So if you don't really understand God's mission for your life, you won't understand your need connection and other people. I, I hear a lot of people talk about, I just don't feel connected with anybody. Anybody in here feel like that sometimes? And it's funny because there's really nothing I can do about that. There's nothing that you can do about that. Sometimes it just happens naturally. But a lot of times what I feel like is that some people don't connect because their mission is too small. They're not understanding how much their life matters and how big the call is on their life. Or they wouldn't sit and complain and say, no one's connecting with me, I don't have any connections. No, you'd make connections. If you had a mission, you would want to know every single person around you. You'd wanna know who they are, what they're like. You'd wanna get to know people. You wouldn't sit in the corner and do nothing if you have a mission to accomplish, right? Moses has another conversation with God. Again, this is what Moses says to God. And this helps us understand chapter three too. Because Moses has this conversation with God He says, God, you've asked me to lead all these people, but you haven't told me who you're going to send with me. Do you know that's what he tells God later on? Again, it's the same thing. He's like, I don't have anybody else. I don't want to do this alone. And God says, my presence will go with you. Of course, Moses flips out. He's like, dude, if you're not coming with us, it's a complete failure, right? Like, what? I was already assuming you were there. I mean, I'm just hoping that you were coming with me as I led the people, right? But it's interesting that God doesn't this time say, well, here you have Aaron, you have this team. He says, you have me. My presence is there. You've forgotten that I'm with you. So when we're talking about our mission, following, finding fellow followers on the journey, that community isn't actually even the point. Having deep friendships and connections, that's actually even not even the point of the journey because it's about the kingdom of God. Again, the mission, having the mission in mind will determine what what our actions are going to be on this journey that we're taking. You know, recognize that God is present. I can go back to the story about Philip, too. Remember Philip, was he never made it to Gaza. He met the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, and it says Philip was snatched away. It's really interesting because it, it says that the Ethiopian eunuch rejoiced. Now, I think that's because he had met Jesus. He had his life changed, and he had a whole entire new mission on life. But what I've seen a lot of times is, you know, we, we accept Jesus, and then the person who led us to Jesus leaves our life, and then we, we feel alone. We're Like, what do I do now? I don't have that leader. Who do I go to, <laughs> you know? And we're, so we have almost an over uh, connection with somebody. We look up to other people, and we look for a personality to lead us rather than understanding that God is present. And a true community can't happen without the presence of God right? So it's, it, the, the point is not, hey, let's get a bunch of friends together, and let's get, let's get a real close community. That's not the, actually the point. That happens for the kingdom of God. See, Philip is taken away because the the mission of God's kingdom is more important than a close friendship with that Ethiopian eunuch. I, I, I put myself in Philip's place, and I just get frustrated. Like, not only did I not make it to where you told me to go, but I didn't even make a friend. <laughs> like, I don't know, he doesn't even get get to see this guy ever again. Like, just I hope that you used me somehow. Right? Sometimes the presence of God is what we need more than just more people in our life. We're looking for that connection, but what we're really looking for is God, because only God can supply what we need. I'll talk about that more in a second, because as we go through Exodus, okay, Moses, he's on his way to the promised land, but he stops at a mountain. He stops at Mount Sinai. And this is in Exodus chapter 20. So if you want to flip over a couple pages. There's a heading. This is a a great part of scripture. Again, very familiar stuff that we're covering. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. Way back, written in ancient times in Hebrew for the Israelite people, God is speaking from the mountain. And he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You should have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony to your neighbor. You should not covet what your neighbor has. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't want what they have. And in the midst of this, just, it it, it even resonates today that God can sum up just some of the main human things, the human commands, almost things that drive us as human beings, it's kind of innate in us of things that are right and wrong, where he says, don't murder. (laughs) He's really just drawing of what he's already put in our heart. Like, you already know that that's not right. There's something in us that tells us some of these things aren't right. But then there's this one that stuck out to me for the first time. Again, you read through the scripture again, different things stick out to you. And uh, verse eight says, remember the Sabbath day. And I thought, what does that mean? The rest of them actually make a lot of sense, and they apply to us as Christians today. You know, we still, even though we live in a completely new place where Jesus has fulfilled all the law, we still don't go around murdering each other. We still know lying is wrong. You know, we still don't commit adultery or some, some of those things, but then when it comes to the Sabbath day, we're like, well, I don't know, that's kind of a Jewish thing. <laughs> we don't really talk about that, and so I was thinking, what is the principle that God is teaching here? What is it that God is telling us to do? And this is really not that complicated. And it also, it does not mean church. Sabbath does not translate to Sunday morning. That's not what he was even talking about here. Sabbath was basically a day of rest. Take a break. That is one of the Ten Commandments. Let me say it again. Take a break. Take a day of rest. Like, are you kidding me? The God of the universe is giving us the Ten Commandments. And one of them is take a day off every week. That, That's so weird. Because I think sometimes we think maybe your schedule that you have is yours. And you get to set it, and you kind of take days off, whatever you want. But God is actually saying, and I get to determine your schedule. I get to determine that every week you're going to take one day off. He And he doesn't really define exactly what that means, what that rest will look like. Because he even says in that day, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that God, that I, the Lord, created the world in six days, and then I rested on the seventh. That's the story I want you to understand. I rested a seventh day. Created in six, rested on the seventh. Think about that for a second. That's what God is saying. Your life should be built around that. Your schedule should be built around that because God blessed the Sabbath day. He made it holy. And I wonder how often do we actually stop and just take a deep breath? And we talk about all the stress in our lives, but I wonder if it's because we have a destination in mind and we forget that the journey is what matters. I wonder if sometimes we think that we're journeying alone and we've forgotten that it's a team effort, that we're in this together. And I wonder if sometimes we've just forgotten to stop and take a rest. (laughs) Think about it this way. I don't remember who I was talking to this week. We were talking about the challenge of disconnecting from a mobile device or your computer for one full 24-hour period, how insanely impossible that is! And uh, think about it this way: even if you just stopped like at noon on Saturday and went till noon on Sunday, could you do that? I mean, at least you didn't skip a whole day. At least you're not going to miss things on, right? You know, or you start on on Friday afternoon and you go to Saturday so that on Saturday night at least you can get back on it. Oh, you know, give me back stuff, you know. Oh, keep up with my Facebook and my stuff, you know. Seriously, I, I think it's interesting. I, when I talk about this, I, I feel like we get nervous. Like, oh, what is he talking about? I'm not making this up, I promise. This isn't the Bible. It actually says that we're supposed to take a break one day a week. Oh, try to figure that out. In other words, every once in a while, we just have to reconnect with our sense of awe. You know what I mean by awe? We say the word awesome, but we're just saying that's cool or whatever, that's great. But I'm saying like awe, like awesome, like that you're just amazed. Have you, when's the last time you were just amazed by God? You're just like, wow, look at all you've done. For me, this rest day actually means to get out in creation. For me, I know that's what God wants me to do. And it's kind of funny that God connects it to creation. So I wonder if sometimes he just wants us to stop what you're doing, stop all your work, get outdoors turn off devices, just go for a walk. Do something, breathe in air, you know, because we're indoors all the time maybe. that. Maybe for us, that's what it means, that we just got to take a rest, a rest day. I, I'm telling you, this is a challenge. This might even be more challenging than reading the Bible in a year, okay? <laughs> it's a huge challenge for God to ask you to take off a day every every week, take one full day off, and just disconnect. Oh, my gosh. That would be tough, (laughs) because you know that you're going to get a phone call or text in that time. So it's getting the sense of awe from the vertical versus the horizontal. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Feeling your sense of awe. You need to take some time out to get a sense of awe from the vertical and not the horizontal. What I mean is the vertical being your relationship with God, horizontal being your relationship with people. Because I think sometimes we're looking for awe in our relationships with people. We want to be awed by each other. We want to we be amazed by each other. And guess what? We're not so amazing. <laughs> you know, I think that we're looking for something in our spouses, in our children, in our friends, that only God can provide. Again, it goes back to when we're talking about taking a journey together, that's not about putting all of your stake into other people. It's also about the presence of God in your life. It's in here. Take a break and remember, c- reconnect with God. Be amazed and be in awe and live from that. Remember in Psalm 23 where he says, my cup overflows? Because you started out with my relationship with God and everything else flows from that. Okay? I know that stress can be a heavy load to carry, but sometimes pressure is a privilege. The pressure that God's given you, the calling he's given you, it's a gift. And I know sometimes we talk about the cards that we've been dealt is our life or whatever. And I know some circumstances leave you wanting to quit, but don't, because God has a calling for you.